Well, hello there and welcome to the Your Booking Report podcast. Welcome back to those folks who've tuned in before, but welcome if this is your first go around. My name is Scott Giese. I'm a 20 plus year representative of Jostin's Yearbooks. Hard to believe I've spent almost four decades now since my high school days in journalism and broadcasting. In our monthly little sojourn here, we uh, get back to my old broadcasting journalism roots using all the fun technology and toys we have today to hopefully bring you some great ideas about your booking and about storytelling. And in this episode, well, this is about a book, but it's also about telling stories as we talk about page design. Now, I've had an adage in my two decades now with Jostens that the biggest time waster in your books is simply making pages. I have seen folks just waste weeks and weeks of time just trying to make a page. I've seen some pages like say about a fall sport, let's say football, and it's come March and the page isn't done yet. Well, why is that? That's because a lot of folks really struggle when it comes to page designing. So that's our main topic this month. And we were able to talk to a real Jostens expert and a yearbook legend, John Kutzinger. Now, if you're a Jostens person, I'm certain you've heard that name, even if you're just, say, like you're really into yearbooks, and no matter where you're from, uh, you've probably heard John's name. John is truly a yearbook legend. He has been at this for decades. He's still going strong. He was a successful uh, yearbook advisor to start off with. And then he came to Jostens and worked for us for decades. He was one of our original CAMs, creative account managers. And right now, I guess you could call him a Jostens ambassador. His job primarily just go around, do lots of teaching and workshops and inspiring people to make terrific yearbooks and well-designed pages, something that most folks really, again, really struggle with. So we're going to start by introducing John, and for those uh, teachers who are listening in, listen to John's story about how he first became a yearbook advisor. If you think you've had it tough, and maybe you have, listen to what John went through, and then you'll probably nod your head, yep, I know what he's talking about, I know about that. And we'll start to set the table on what it really takes to make great pages, and by the way, anybody can do it. We're going to kind of crack the code and unlock some secrets a little bit later on. But first, let's take some time to meet John. John, first of all, I appreciate you taking time. Now, we've met at various Jostens functions, and you are unbelievable. You are fantastic. And so when you agreed to do this today on our main topic, is going to be about page design. I thought, yes, this is great. And for people that check out our video, which again is on YouTube, the Your Booking Report, John, always, John, how many colorful shirts do you have? About a hundred? Uh, we're not counting, but um, I guess I'm most famous for my shorts. I have really wild, fun shorts ranging from uh, wild geometric patterns to flamingos to hot dogs. Hot dogs? I just like to express myself through design. <laughs> Well, for those watching the video, we're going to keep the webcam primarily on John's face. All right. We're not going to look at his shorts. That's that's weird. Um, now, John, somehow for people that don't know who you are, let's do a background here because you've been doing your book and journalism and design for a very long time. So let, let's just start from scratch. Tell, tell folks about yourself. 
Well, I am approaching five decades, 50 years of being a yearbook nerd. Um, I started publications in high school as uh, a newspaper reporter uh, at my high school and was inspired, um, I mean inspired by my um, uh, high school journalism teacher. Uh, she taught in the same room for 41 and a half years and her passion just um, sent me the message that that was going to be my calling, my career. And so I went to college. I was a first-generation college student and um, uh, majored in language arts, English. My emphasis was in Shakespeare. Um, I was the uh, newspaper associate editor uh, and then moved into the yearbook editor's position because it paid more. Uh, not that I was qualified for it, but uh, did the yearbook for two years. And then when I went for my first teaching job, uh, kind of a fun story, um, I, I interviewed in Poto, Oklahoma, and um, interviewed with the principal. The principal said, um, well, we're hiring for an English position, and I said, well, that's pretty terrific. He said, but we'll give you your final assignments when you report to school. So I reported to school, and he called me into his office, and he said, now, John, you're going to be teaching six hours of English like we discussed when uh, you were here for your hiring interview. He said, but we have an overflow at the junior high school, and I want you to teach language arts down there um, during that time. And I said, oh, during my planning period. He said, no, we don't have planning periods here. You do that at home. Uh, it'll be during your lunch period. So I taught seven hours of English that first year. Uh, and then he said, I also want you to do a couple of extra things because that's how you know you're a real teacher. So I said, okay. He said, well, I want you to be um, the um, newspaper editor because you obviously have experience there. I said, well, that's terrific. He said, well, the newspaper editor is also the senior class president. You'll be working closely with her, so you can just do that as well. I said, okay. And he said, well, yeah, but you know, the yearbook is a whole lot like the newspaper, so I'd like for you to do that. Well, by this time, I'm beginning to think, okay, this, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Um, but it was my first teaching job. Not a lot of jobs out there, so I just thought I'd suck it up. So then he said, well, you know, the, the yearbook editor is also the student government president, so you can do that as well, <sighs> was my response. <laughs> I get to the door, and he said, oh, one last thing. Those two girls are also co-head cheerleaders, so you'll be doing that, but we're going to pay you extra for that. So that's kind of how I got my um, uh, uh, indoctrination to education. Well, I fell in love with the yearbook, and so uh, instead of going to cheerleading camp one year, we decided we'd go to yearbook camp, and that was just the, the, the beginning of a most amazing journey of over 40 years of loving every day and almost every minute of every day what I do. For goodness sakes, John, did they have you mop the floors too? No, they, they didn't have me do that, uh, but uh, um, I, I, I laugh and say that the yearbook was an after, after, after school activity, um, because after school, we did cheerleading first, then after cheerleading, we did newspaper, and then after cheerleading and newspaper, we did yearbook, so it was an after, after, after school activity. Then um, uh, I taught in Arkansas and Oklahoma. Uh, where the kids I had just wanted to be the best, and the books began getting um, uh, state and national acclaim and uh, won every award that was possible. And 
Um, it just was a blessing that the kids just kind of drugged me along. And, um, so I, 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 I did three schools of publications and then uh, Jostens asked me to um, join its team and um, the rest is history. I was a Jostens employee for 29 years. Um, started out in the corporate setting, which is not quite my uh, so then they moved me to California and let me be a part-time yearbook rep and a creative accounts manager. And um, I did that the rest of my career for over 25 years. And here I am now, um, kind of sort of retired. Uh, I don't have a full-time job anywhere, but I do a lot of conferences and workshops and work individually consulting staffs. Um, and then I also have my own little business um, right here in uh, my community. Um, I am a gardener. I go out every day from about 7 o'clock in the morning till about uh, 1230. Then it gets too hot and the pool screens my name. Um, but I'm working every, almost every day and life couldn't be better. And it's all because of my experience uh, as a yearbooker. I was going to say, you are not retired. Okay, that that is not retirement okay not even well, close okay how about just change of pace all right that works all right that's fine that, that's cool um and yeah for many years you were what we call a creative accounts manager or a cam as we called it and we still right. have several cams now just describe that i guess john because our cams do various things we have three or four folks um and at least where I live, we don't have much uh, connection with the cams. Maybe, I guess I've always, I'm a rural guy, right? and I've always thought, well, that's maybe more of a suburban or urban thing, and I know that's not true. What what do cams do, like for Jostens? What are our cams? What's their responsibilities? Well, first of all, shame on you, okay? Um, I, I believe that the CAM is appropriate for everyone. When I went to Jostens, I probably was a yearbook elitist. Um, however, um, I work with, with reps that are, I mean, you think you're rural? Go to, to West Kansas with Jake Wright, okay? I mean, that's rural America. And um, just, I have a blast. I mean, those staffs are as hungry and are as appreciative as any um, advanced staff that I've ever worked with. I mean, it's just, um, Casey Nichols is my best friend, and he's always said, let's make it doable. And that changed my perspective on the way that I approach uh, every uh, conference, every workshop, every session, every one-on-one -on -one with staff, is just let's find something that works and that's gonna uh, better serve uh, telling your school and the kids in your school's stories. So um, to me, CAM was just perfect. When I, when I first, I actually started the position, um, I, I realized corporate wasn't gonna work. I went in and I resigned and the, the CEO, Mike Bailey at that point said, we don't wanna lose you, so tell me what you wanna do. So he let me write my own job description and that was the CAM. And so I had the uh, uh, opportunity to, to decide exactly what I wanted to do. So it was just to go out and serve advisors and their students in a way that they weren't being serviced. Um, our yearbook team, um, Jostens reps are amazing, absolutely amazing. But for most yearbook 
and yearbook journalism are not their fortes. So that's what I think the CAM um, uh, adds, uh, is that, that foray into uh, really good, strong journalism, um, amazing creativity, um, learning by doing, uh, and the CAM team has the opportunity to do that. I love to think of myself as the, the granddaddy of um, your, I get to go into your schools and share with schools um, uh, the creative edge that they can have, and then I get to leave, um, and um, quite frankly, with the CAM team, we're always there. I mean, kids, well, kids text me, they email me, um, they have me go out and look at their pages online um, to get feedback. So it's, um, it's just a program that really allows that added value service to your schools. Okay. And you do it very well, and we really appreciate that. Oh, um, thank you. You're welcome. Um, popular question that I've asked a number of folks who have been at this for a long time. And as we're recording this interview in October, we actually just talked to your friend, Casey Nichols, who's with you. So that, that's kind of cool visiting you right now. And I asked him this question, so I'll do the same with you. What has changed about yearbooks over the years? And not, obviously, technology has changed. That, that's the obvious one. But maybe in other ways, or maybe hasn't there been any change? What is different about yearbooks, maybe now compared to decades ago? Oh, my. Well, first of all, you know, when it is an amazing uh, opportunity. I mean, no longer are we using letter set letters and chart pack tapes. Uh, the waxer is gone. Um, so, I mean, technology-wise, it's changed. But I do believe that yearbooks have made a dramatic change. Uh, the first change that I see is um, the fact that um, we're serving a much greater need than we used to. We used to do what I call universal coverage, uh, which means that we actually um, uh, just covered activities and events, uh, homecoming, prom, uh, the football game on Friday night, uh, the Spanish club meeting at the taco bar, whatever. Um, we just did universal coverage. We really weren't into uh, intimate storytelling. Uh, and so I see that as being the major change content-wise of the book, is that we're doing intimate storytelling where we're talking about homecoming and prom and the football game, but we're doing it through the eyes of those who are actually experiencing it. Um, we're letting them tell their unique, one-of-a-kind stories. The most amazing thing that I've ever said, and I do think it's amazing, thing that I've ever said about yearbooks is that quotes should be so intimate that only one person could say it. Then we know we've got that unique story. So that, that's my mission now. My mission now is to make sure that our quotes and our yearbooks are um, meaningful, bountiful, and personal. Um, so that's one of the major changes. Of course, design has changed uh, to accommodate greater storytelling. Uh, the move from traditional five to seven photographs on a spread, which did do that universal coverage, has now become uh, uh, spreads that have anywhere between 15 and 25 photographs uh, that allow for a great deal more of individual storytelling. So we've gone from um, uh, universal to what I consider to be uh, very personal um, storytelling. Um, and design has to keep up with that. So we're seeing um, a continuation and an ex 
expansion of um, uh, traditional design to modular design uh, to freeform design. Uh, I'm really in the freeform camp right now uh, of uh, uh, letting content drive our design. Um, uh, the old uh, adage that if you don't know what you're designing, how the heck are you going to design it? So um, I, I see that. I still see kids with amazing passion for what they do. I mean, that hasn't changed. Um, the passion is there. So, it, and, and I, I, I think that's what keeps me um, 13 and a half years old. We'll get back to more on great page design with our friend John Kutzinger coming up here in just a moment. Now stay tuned. We're going to sort of get into the nuts and bolts of great page design and we'll say great modern page design. Things have changed over the years in a number of different ways, not just the technology that always changes, but more of the philosophy and the thought and what goes into great page design and so on. John's going to give us a whole lot of great ideas. You might want to have your pad and pencil or pen ready because uh, you're going to be doing some note-taking here with John. That's coming up here in just a bit. Now, let's give a little free plug of sorts to our accompanying video on YouTube, which is also called the Yearbooking Report. We do it monthly. And we uh, ask if you check out the episode from November 2019, along with news and notes and, of course, clips of John. If you want to see John as he talks about great page design, you can tune in. But also we have some terrific ideas from our CAMs. Now, Justin's that's a creative accounts manager. These are folks that are just experts on yearbook. And their job every day is to help schools all over the country do a better job with their yearbook and their yearbook effort. And we have some great tips from my friend Elizabeth Walsh. Now, Liz is a former award-winning yearbook advisor who is now a Justin's CAM. And she shares lots of great ideas. Some are like, yeah, okay, we're doing that. But others are like, hey, we never thought of that before. And so in our video episode from November 2019, we share a number of ideas from Liz that you could probably use in your yearbook this year. Now, of course, we're currently in the 2020 yearbook year. And yes, probably the hot theme for yearbooks this year, of course, is 2020 vision which is glasses and eye charts and vision and seeing and all that sort of stuff. There are a ton of schools doing something with 2020 because let's face it, this year is only going to come around once. And so let's see what you can do with it, all right? But in our video episode from November 2019, Liz shares some interesting ideas using that idea of 20 or 2020. And so we ask you to you know check out the video if you haven't already and see if some of those ideas work with your book this year, even if you don't have a vision theme. Liz is just extremely creative, and she gave us some pretty interesting ideas, like, wow, I never thought of that before. And that's the job of our cams. That's what they do. So check out our video on YouTube. Again, all you have to do is go to YouTube or YouTube.com, use the search bar there, put in the word yearbooking. Only one thing comes up. It's our yearbooking report video feature, and we hope you get a lot out of it and plenty of good ideas too. 
All right, now let's get back to great page design with our friend and yearbook legend, John Kutzinger. I refer to John sort of as the energizer bunny of yearbooking. He is just unbelievable, and he has a ton of ideas. So get ready, because here they come on the topic of great page design. Page design is the main reason we're talking today. And I've been at this for 20 plus years, and I just, I don't know if it's where I live or if this is the way it is in general, that most students and frankly advisors really struggle with page designing. They have a really difficult time. They can go take pictures, they can do some writing, but when they sit down at a computer to design pages, they struggle all over the place. John, why is that? Why is this seemingly so difficult? Well, first of all, I think 90% of great design is pre-planning. I mean, bottom line is that, that you've got to know what you're going to design. The greatest project that I've ever been a part of as far as my professional career, and especially my career with Jostens, um, is the, the set of story starters uh, that we have out on Yearbook Avenue in the digital classroom. Uh, those are amazing tools for yearbook staffs to start that planning. So I'm a really, I mean, I am a strong advocate of um, uh, advisors and editors printing out every story starter for every spread that they have in the book. That's the start. Then the kids know what kind of stories they want to tell. Um, I think we've made it too difficult for them to design. Um, so my new approach, I have a new approach that I've used for about the last two to three years um, uh, where we don't start with a spread. That's too difficult. I mean, for most of our kids, they're not designers. Uh, they they are, are kids that just want to create a, 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 a great book, and a part of a great book is being visually attractive, but yet they don't have the full skill set to do that. Now, you get kids, you know, and I mean and in small numbers that, that do have that design uh, prowess, uh, but those are few and far between. So I think that what we got to do is start small and work big. So what I am encouraging is in the free form is to actually do all of your pre-planning, decide how many stories you want in the spread. If it's a single topic like football, what individual angles are we going to, to, to tell? What kinds of stories are we going to tell? Are we going to tell the story of the season? Certainly. That probably would be a dominant module on a spread. And a module is just um, a small package uh, that's a part of the overall spread. So we, we, we create that season. Did we have a lot of injuries? Is that something that we need to do? Did we go to district, regional, and state? That might be another story we need to tell. Do we have the same quarterback that we had last year and how many years has he played? How many returning starters do we have? Um, is there a, a, a rookie on the freshman and sophomore uh, level that's now playing varsity? Let's decide what stories we want to tell. Uh, do we want to tell about fan support on the football spread? I don't know very many football players that would play uh, on Friday night and practice every other day of the week if fans didn't show up. So, I mean, they're a part of that. So let's decide which one of those. Let's narrow it down to, let's just say, uh, anywhere between um, three and seven, a lot of flexibility, three to seven angles that we want to talk about as that, that, that topic. So that would be the first thing in the planning stages that I would do. Then you've got to plan each one of those individual. 
Uh, when we go to injuries, how many players were injured? Um, what's the difference between a minor injury and a major injury? Uh, did we have a player that played the first game and was injured and was out for the rest of the season? Could we do a little personality profile on them? So again, what we want to do is to get real detailed because then that's going to tell us what kind of stories we need to write. It's going to tell us what kind of photographs we need to take. It's going to tell us what kind of infographs are going to be important to help tell the story. Uh, so again, um, uh, that pre-planning is incredibly important. So we, and I don't think most staffs do that. I'm going to be very honest with you. I think they just start slapping photographs on the spread, and that's why they're having difficulty. So they get all of that pre-planning done, and then they can actually wait. Okay, so the season coverage is going to be the largest, most important. Uh, then the injuries, because it was so prevalent this year, is going to be um, the second most important. And then we've got three other little stories that we want to tell. So we're going to put five stories on that spread. So then I, I like to encourage my kiddos, once they get that done, is to not stop with the inspiration and the planning. Um, I look at each one of the stories and decide what's going to be most important. And then what I love to do is to go out to issue.com, I-S-S-U-U.com, which is a magazine and print subscription service. Uh, and you can go out there and browse for months uh, to get professional ideas that can be easily adapted to um, uh, the yearbook. And to me, that's really important because what that does is it exposes our kiddos to uh, really, really good design. I discourage most kids from looking at other books and getting ideas because uh, either those ideas are great, but they're ideas that were inspired from professional publications a couple of years ago. So they're kind of losing their um, uh, visual value. Um, so I like to go out there and look for ideas that you can use. In the example that I sent you, uh, that's what uh, that's what it goes through, is it goes through that little process. So once you've done that, you design the modules themselves. Now, not the spread, but you design the individual modules, and you put those together so that, um, um, uh, that you have each individual story being told. And then I get the blank canvas of the spread. Um, and please don't tell everybody, but um, I know we're telling everybody. Uh, I don't use a, a grid. I don't use little boxes. Uh, I just have a white um, background and I place my dominant module first. And then I place my other modules around it uh, following the bullseye uh, concept of the biggest dominant module goes toward the center of the spread. And then we work our medium modules to the outside of that and then our little modules uh, past that. Um, and there are five basic principles that I really love to, um, to use. Hierarchy and contrast is very important, making sure we have big, medium, and small. And that's true in both um, photos as well as um, um, type. I mean, we're going to have headlines that are really big. We're going to have copy, which is about 10 point. We're going to have captions that are 8 point. So there's our big, medium, small. And then we'll have a large module, medium-sized module, and little modules. And then we'll have big photos, medium-sized photos, and small photos. Now, we do that for contrast because contrast creates visual energy. It keeps our spread really, really, really active. So um, uh, after we uh, do that, we want some elements that are consistent. And that would be our copy and our captions. Uh, we want to be really consistent with the um, spacing that we put between each one of the photos in a grouping. When we have a collection of photographs, we want them less far apart than 
uh, say the space that we put between modules because we want to separate those. The little spacing unifies those photographs in the collection. Um, so we want uh, that. We want to make sure that we have a balance. Uh, balance means that we've got, um, uh, I, I kind of have my own little formula. Um, I like about 75 to 80% photographs and then 20 to 25% uh, writing because we know that we're a very visual society. We know the reason that kids buy the book is to see themselves in it. Uh, however, we also know that a great photograph inspires a story that can't be answered just by the photograph. So we need captions for every photograph in the book, almost without exception. There are a few um, breaking the rules uh, places. Um, and so we want to be consistent in the way we treat color and we want balance in that color. We want some color on the left-hand page and some color on the right-hand page. Making sure that any color we use is functional, which means it highlights an element that we know deserves additional attention. So um, um, then, um, uh, let me think of what the other ones are, oh my gosh. Um, hierarchy, contrast. Uh, we want uh, consistency, then we want balance. We want to do something really good with alignment. When we're looking at the spread, we want one or two or maybe even three horizontal eye lines, uh, kind of like clotheslines, and then we're going to line everything up on those horizontal um, um, uh, lines to give it a really good planned look. Um, and we can also do that vertically. We can create vertical um, uh, eye lines so that we can align elements uh, and what that does is just uh, really give it a great planned look. And then lastly is uh, proximity. And that's the amount of space that we leave between modules and between primary and secondary headline and um, between photos and between photos and captions. Um, and uh, that lends itself to uh, telling our reader what goes together and what doesn't. So then you, you put the, the dominant module on there and then you put the other ones around it following those five guidelines and um, through just um, uh, almost like a, a puzzle, um, you move those elements around to start with the largest in the middle, the lesser important to the outside, and then the lesser, lesser important to the outside. And so that's free form. Um, once you create one of those, um, um, you're creating the consistent elements that you're going to use all the way through the book in the modules. Like in the dominant module, it might be a specific kind of headline design. Uh, on the um, um, secondary module, it might be the color of line that you put around it or a background that you put uh, around it. Those then become your consistent elements all the way through uh, the book to make one spread uh, jive with the one before it and the one after it. John, I was going to say you're a radical. You don't use the grid. No, I, I used to. But, you know, the kids don't understand it. So why are we working with tools that they don't fully understand? Now, they can, they can put those five modules on the spread, and they can know that they need a certain amount of spacing here because that's a part of our principle. I think we've been teaching uh, by rules um, rather than principles. And some people say that that's just syntax, it's just the way you phrase it. Uh, but I, I think it, it makes a huge difference. Um, I've done this at three workshops where we did a, a hands-on uh, design workshop. And um, two of the staffs were relatively new, lots of young kids on the staff. One of them was really highly experienced and um, uh, has been designing a great book for years. Um, and 
all three staffs embraced it and did really, really, really well. The first results were better than any first results I've ever had of kids uh, designing following the traditional method. All right. Now, we'll mention... There, there are, I mean, I want to go back and say there are messes. I mean, there are messes, but I, I just find that it's, 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 a, it's a great way to teach. Okay. Now, we'll mention for folks listening to our podcast, again, we have our accompanying video on YouTube called The Yearbooking Report. Just search for yearbooking. Only one thing comes up. And, John, you shared a presentation that you put together, so we're going to share out some slides to kind of go okay. along with what you're describing there. So that'll be part of the video. Now, John, i got to be honest, I know we probably have a few folks tuning in they you're you are filled with so many great ideas they felt like they just got hit with a fire hose okay like wow that's a lot of stuff on there what let's let's back up a little bit maybe and i don't know simplify so to speak if i want to start doing freeform modular or maybe just modular in general how do i start now you mentioned the story starters which is a hidden gem on yearbook avenue folks for Justin schools you really need to use those. They're really helpful. But, John, let's simplify. I want to get started. How do I start? Well, again, you, you, you start with those story starters and defining every little story that you want to tell on that spread. Now, you will get some surprise stories. Once you go out, what you may find, and I mean, I just read this story in a book this, this season uh, of a basketball player who was also a championship orchid grower. So one of the sidebars on that spread, basketball spread, was about him being that amazing orchid grower. So you'll get some surprise stories, but once you get those defined, then you decide um, the importance of each. Okay, what's going to be the most important story on the spread? That's going to be your biggest package or module. And then you just go through the whole list and decide which ones need to be medium size, which ones need to be small size. Then once you do that, what I would do if, if I had a beginning staff is I would say go out to the, uh, all of the, the page surfer designs, the click and go designs, uh, the new series of designs, and look for elements in those designs that could be an individual package. And, and pull those onto the spread. Then put equal spacing between all of those once you get all four or five of them on, on there. I think that's a way that you can get started. There are some modular designs already in the designer's programs. And if you're brand new and you don't know what the heck you're doing, use those. There's nothing, there is, there is everything good about using those and really nothing bad if you're a beginner. All right, now you kind of you kind of read my mind there a little bit. Um, for Justin oh schools especially, we have either with our online designer through Yearbook Avenue, or for folks that use InDesign or Monarch, the online connection there, that there is a separate called modular design there, which is mm -hmm. I call that a little simplistic. But John, it sounds like you don't that that would work. You you could start there. Uh, I've never. Simple isn't good. I mean, I've been simple all of my life, Scott, and it's gotten me where I am, wherever that is. But if, if I were a brand new advisor, 
with a relatively young staff or an advisor with a quote unquote um, experienced staff that cannot design, there would be no way that I wouldn't start with what's already been pre-designed in the page server modular series. No way. We'll get back to our final segment with our friend John Kutzinger on page design and yearbooking. And he's going to share some terrific advice for advisors from rookies all the way to veterans from his decades of experience, his work with kids, which I know he really, really enjoys doing. So we still have some tidbits to come up, though. Don't go anywhere, all right? We'll have that coming up in just a bit. Now, maybe you've noticed this, maybe not. You may have noticed that Thanksgiving is the latest possible date it can be this year, November 28th. Remember, Thanksgiving is always the fourth Thursday in Thanksgiving. Well, the latest date for that, of course, is the 28th. And, of course, this year, Christmas is December 25th, which falls on a Wednesday. So it appears, from my observation, hardly anybody, it appears, is going to have school on Monday, December 23rd. That's just, that's not going to work. One day that week. So it appears that just about everybody, I think, out there is going to be wrapping up the calendar year for classes on Friday, December 20. So that means only three weeks of school time between Thanksgiving break and Christmas break. And that three weeks could be paramount to your yearbook effort this year. In my 20 plus years of doing this, I've seen some folks go into December and yeah, maybe depending on where you live, it snows or there are weather interruptions and so on. And a lot of folks seem to kind of eh, fritter away December. Here's a challenge for you. Let's not do that this year. We have a three week period between the two holiday breaks. Make it a challenge of sorts with your yearbook staff. How much can you get done in those three weeks of time? Now, if you're a spring yearbook, in other words, your book comes out in you know May or June, it's possible you may have a page submission deadline somewhere in there in December. That's a possibility. So hopefully right, right off the bat that gets you working hard. But even if you don't, even if you know maybe you've got something in January or something like that, or maybe you're a fall book, your book comes out in, say, August or September, and your deadlines are a little later on. Let's take those three weeks of December and really work them. I mean just organize and plan, get everybody doing what they need to do, get more done than you need to. Fall sports, of course, long over. A lot of fall activities, long finished. Hopefully, you have your portraits from your portrait photographer by now, you can certainly work on those pages as well. How much can you get done in that three-week span so that when we finally hit Christmas break, you don't have a worry in the world? You can go home and have a great Christmas break, maybe with your family. No worries, no stresses. Go relax, have fun, take a vacation, whatever. And then when you come back right after New Year's, okay, we've worked hard, now let's get it going again. Don't fritter away December. Do something good with it and, uh, and, and see what you can do, all right? Right now, let's get back to our final segment with our friend John Kutzinger. Now, as you were talking there, you mentioned the word stories a whole bunch of times. And my experience, well, my experience in 20-plus years is a lot of folks kind of overlook that. They think, okay, we're doing a spread on the football team. 
let's slap some football pictures down and do a little write up here and then we're done. John, let's let's reiterate of sorts the importance of telling stories in this book. Why should we do this? Well, Casey actually in depth captured it beautifully in his uh, sequence. However, I'm um, uh, I'm an old dog and I love new tricks. And I think the traditional way of interviewing um, is archaic. Uh, our yearbook kids are not professional reporters. The kids that we're interviewing certainly don't have experience with being um, uh, interviewed. So I, I think we've kind of lost um, the ability to tell the story by the way that we go out. Um, I would always say to any of my kids that go out and say, well, I didn't get any good responses. And then I would just look at them and say, well, then that means you didn't ask any good questions. And so my approach now is I'm just teaching my kids to have conversations. And I know that Casey mentioned that. Um, um, first of all, we need to interview kids about what's important to them. A lot of times we go out and we interview them because we need a quote for the homecoming spread or we need a quote for the academic um, uh, language arts spread. Um, but we're not talking to them about their passions. So um, I like to teach my kids to go out first and um, ask their subject, the person that they're reporting on, uh, to just list three passions. What's three things that you love about your life? That tells you what they want to talk about. Now you can just actually ask. I, I have three questions that I suggest that they ask, and they're all related to the five W's and H, but they're not um, positioned or poised as the five W's and H. Uh, I like to, once I get those three listings of what the kid's really passionate about, I want them to describe one of them, which means they have to start a conversation. I want them to explain one of them. And then I want them to just tell me a story about one of them. And at any point during the describe, explain, tell me stage uh, that I get a story started, I want to finish it. So my follow-up question is always just tell me more. Tell me more. I never get tired of asking that because they keep telling me layers and layers and layers of that story, which then results in quotes that are so intimate that only one person could say them. So I think storytelling is so important and everyone's got a story, everyone. And I think our mission should be, our goal should be that every kid in our school, every teacher and staff member has the ability, has the privilege, has the responsibility and right to have their story told in the 2020 yearbook. That's simple. John, John I'm feeling smart now because, which is rare for me because <laughs> I'm dumb as a brick. Um, you are not. My favorite question, and I've told a million, well, not a million kids, there's not that many people in Pennsylvania uh, or where I live. Um, my favorite question, tell me more about that. And sometimes oh, yeah. I'll get blank stares from kids like, you want me to do what? I, I don't know. Some, and I've joked with English teachers, what are you teaching these kids that they don't want to write, they don't want to find out stories, I mean, I'm, and I've got to watch out because I'm married to an English teacher, but, and she's great. Um, but how do, how do we teach? I mean, I mean, John, is that the problem? We're, we're not teaching kids the right way. No, I, I, I don't think so. And I mean, and I have to admit that after 40 years, 
the first 40 years I taught make out some five W's and H and go out and ask them. I mean, that, that's what I taught. And it was wrong. I mean, I, I get such amazing results. I've done like 15 fall workshops and that's being retired, you know. Uh, and at every one of those workshops, I've taught conversational reporting where they ask the list, describe, explain, tell me, tell me more. And then I let the kids break out. And it is amazing to me the stories that they come back with. And they are excited about it. Um, I believe it's like anything else we do in life. We've got to practice. So my challenge to everyone who listens to this is to take that conversational reporting idea and have your kids do it every single day. Every day they interview somebody that they don't know. Now start out with just staff members interviewing staff members to build a little comfort level, then let them interview two or three of their friends, but then make them break out and start interviewing people that have not been covered in the yearbook that they don't know. Um, and, and I think that's really important. Um, I also think uh, Casey mentioned uh, in his um, uh, to take a photograph every two weeks. Uh, I don't buy that. I think you take a picture at least every other day. We all have our phones or our cameras with us. We're taking pictures of ourselves. Let's just turn that camera around and get pictures of other people doing interesting things. I agree with that. Absolutely. Maybe, maybe almost every day. We've uh, got to be daily yearbookers and we're not. Okay. Quick follow up there. Daily yearbookers. Now, obviously yes. the yearbook only comes out once in May or June or August or, or whatever it is. How, John, how can we be daily yearbookers? In other words, what are other ways that we can share out interesting stories that we find? Well, if we go out every single day and we talk to someone, um, and then multiple someones, chances are we'll never be able to get all of those stories in a printed book. So I think we've got to have um, uh, a compliment, a supplement. And to me, that's where social media comes in. Uh, first of all, you're promoting the idea that you as a yearbook staff are working every day to create this amazing printed piece. But every day you can share the stories of some of those kids in the school uh, that may not make the printed book. So uh, depending, I mean, I, I always encourage my kiddos to survey their students to find out what the most popular social media sites are because it does vary uh, from one place to another. So find out what the social media sites are and then create a presence there and um, um, uh, share your stories that are both going to be in the book and that may not make it in the book. I just, I, I, then it becomes um, a, a, a daily yearbook, if you will. Um, which I think could be amazing. And I know that there are staffs that do it. And they have up to 75, 80, 90% of their student body following them. Quick aside to make me look smart again, because, and this is extremely rare, folks, it's very rare. Um, as we're recording this in October, I did a workshop at a school yesterday with several schools that showed up when we did lots of great things. At the end of the hallway, Next to the cafeteria was a video up on the wall. And on the video board, they just had daily announcements. I, probably a lot of schools have that. And I yes. just I turned to the kids and I said, hey, can you put stories like pictures and captions or quotes up on that board? And they looked at me like, 
wow, we never thought of that before. And I wasn't trying to make them look dumb. I'm like, there are so many different ways to tell stories. Let's use some of them. Go ahead. Absolutely. I mean, what stops us from um, every week covering um, uh, 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 an athlete, and let's choose football because that's pretty universal, but we choose a football player, and during the halftime rhetoric uh, where they're uh, filling time um, after the band has performed and the cheerleaders and dance team have done their stuff, um, to, to read a little profile about one of the players and how they feel about what's going on in their lives football-wise. Would that not be amazing to showcase a player at every Friday night game or every Thursday night volleyball game? I just think that could be so cool. I think there are lots of missed opportunities out there. Think, oh. think, about, going to the, think about going to the choir concert or to the uh, all-school musical and the yearbook staff has a huge display there of all the photographs that they've taken and the stories that they're telling. Even running a, a, a video of dress rehearsal. I mean, would that not be absolutely amazing? Would that not tell the drama department, the choir department, the band department, that we love them as yearbook staff members and want them to get all the credit that's due? I, I think we're missing a lot of opportunities. Oh, man. Okay, now I'm back to being dumb as a brick uh, because where I live in Pennsylvania, I am the PA announcer for my local high school football team. And there are those occasional lulls in a game, and I'm sitting there. You just described that. I'm thinking, holy mackerel. Why didn't I ever think of that? That's a great idea. So, all right, John, one more question because we have to wrap it up. Um, okay. A popular question that I like to ask for folks who've been at this like you for a really long time with tremendous experience. If you could sit down with a rookie advisor or advisors or a second year advisor that maybe they're struggling in various ways, I don't know if I can do this, what advice would you give to younger or newer advisors to help them stick with it and go and do a great job? First of all, love it. Second of all, if you don't love it, leave it. This job is incredibly important in that the book we create will most likely be the most tangible thing, I hate the word thing, but will be the most tangible thing that your students will have in 15 years, 20 years. I'm getting ready to go back to my 50th high school reunion and the first thing I did when I got the invitation was to pull out my yearbook. It's that important. So if you don't love it, if you don't have a passion for it, um, I just don't think you'll make it. Now, once you develop that passion, there are some things I think practically you can do. Uh, always make it real. I mean, can we have an award-winning book the first year that we advise. No, not going to happen. I mean, it would be a fluke. It would be a staff that's been winning awards all along. But for most of us, that's not going to be it. So don't live in a dream world. Live in the real world. Um, I loved every year, even after I was experienced, to choose two or three things that I wanted to make sure that we did better. 
um, and, and to grow our experience, to grow our expertise. Um, so I, I tried to set real goals. Um, another thing that I think is incredibly important is to create a culture of communication. Uh, too often, I think that we don't take the time uh, to, to, to work together, to learn about each other, um, understand each other's strengths, understand each other's weaknesses, um, just understand each other. Uh, when you understand someone, uh, then you have a much easier time dealing with them. But I think communication is really very, 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 very important. Um, setting, um, going back to setting clear expectations, um, I had an advisor last week that said, um, you know, I'm using rubrics uh, for my kids. And I said, well, that's really, really, really good. She said, yes, as soon as they turn in their work, I give them the rubric uh, so that they know what I'm going to grade them on. And I looked at her and I said, now, wouldn't it be better if you gave the kiddos the rubric at the beginning of the process? so that they can be using that rubric to create what they're going to turn in. A rubric is not just for grading. It can be the greatest mentoring device. And she just turned red. And, and I said, look, you're new. I, I said, and she said, well, I'm just overwhelmed. And I said, honey, if you weren't overwhelmed, you don't get it. I said, through year uh, uh, 16 or 17, when I advised, I, even though we won awards and we did all kinds of good things, I was always a little overwhelmed. If you're not, you don't get your So I think, um, uh, again, uh, setting realistic goals um, and communication are the two keys to, to, to growing a program. And it, it, it's just, to me, that easy. John, I really I always appreciate talking to you. Uh, I always, even though you and I have both been at this for a long time, I always learn something new when I sit in on a on a session that you do. Uh, we at Jostens have something that we call, which is Jostens University, which is sort of like continuing education for the teacher folks out yeah. there. And we do it when we have our annual meeting every January. Do I assume you're still doing this stuff? Still doing a lot of that, yeah. I mean, I'm learning every day. I mean, like the conversational reporting and the freeform design. I mean, those are all things that, that are, are new to me. John, we could go for another hour, but I got to stop here. So I really appreciate you taking time. Thank you so very much. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Scott. Well, it's like I said, my friend John Kutzinger is the energizer bunny of your booking. He is just just amazing. He's an amazing guy. And yes, the colorful shirts. Uh, we weren't kidding. If you check out our, our accompanying video, the yearbooking report on YouTube, you'll see whatever shirt John's wearing today. And he's got a million of them. I swear his closet must take up a half a block or something. But he's an amazing, unique fellow filled with ideas and inspiration on why yearbooking, why what we do is so vitally important. This is something, again, that's going to last a lifetime. So please, uh, for yearbook advisors, for any staffers that are listening, put your 100% effort into it because when folks eventually get their book, don't let them down. Yes, they're going to love it the first day you hand it out. And of course, we want them to love it decades from now when they want to go back and reach back and remember what happened during their school days. 
You're the only place that's going to have that. There's no website. There's nothing else. Your yearbook is the number one spot for those memories. Let's go out and work hard. Folks, we appreciate you listening. Thank you very much for listening to the Yearbooking Report podcast.